It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cowboy Stories and welcome to part two of my interview with Tyson Johnson. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one, I'd recommend heading over there first because we are just going to dive right into part two. And then for me, I think a a big part of of cowboying or ranching that I really enjoy and I don't get to do as much now as I used to is is the training aspect or the relationship with the animals. You know, that's one thing I loved about training horses and riding horses is, you know, just that relationship you build with that horse where um you ride one long enough and you just you just think the same you know a slight little movement you might be chasing a cow and a slight little movement you know which way your your horse is going to go or the horse knows which way you want to go without you having to you know uh, yank or whip or anything and um I mean, you just you just build such a a good relationship, and you do that with horses, you do that with dogs, um, you know, anything you spend a lot of time with, and and you even do that somewhat with cattle. I that's one reason I really enjoy handling um, stalkers or freshly weaned uh, calves is that you're the one that's really training them, especially if you keep them as replacement heifers is. Setting, setting them up for life on how to be handled and, you know, to know that your actions influence, uh, you know, influence their behavior, um, even though you don't, with cattle, you don't have the same relationship as you do with a horse, you you still train on those animals. And, um, and that's one thing that I really, really enjoy about cowboy. And like I say, I don't, get to do as much of it now as I used to, but it's, it's, it's something that really kept me in the, in the industry or in the job is just that passion for animals. I remember, um, just on that kind of aspect of training them all the time. I remember, um, going with my dad and Tabor, uh, down the desert. He came and helped us one weekend and my dad sent me and Tabor off by ourselves. And Tabor was like, you're the boss. He's like, I'm following you. I was like, no, you're the boss. I'm following you. Anyway, he made me go in front and we got around a little bunch of cows and we could see them a couple ridges over and I just kept going along the top of the ridge. I can't remember how old I was, but 
just kept going along the top of the ridge and then Tabor stopped me and he was like, Okay, let's let's think about this. <laughs> he said yeah. he said basically said the same thing you did. He said, Whenever I'm out here I I like to I like to train the cows and have them know that I'm handling them like right from the get go and not have them run off. Anyway, just gave me a spiel that I have remembered as a kid. I think that's a great example because, and I think most people, you know, raised in ranching uh, have this uh, um, experience or <clears throat> to a certain degree or, or one, but, you know, one thing that as I got older, I realized, you know, not that I'm, you know, some animal handling guru by any means, but when the light came on in my head on, hey, if I, you know, if I move this way or if I, you know, go too fast to the, you know, at this point or if I get here, you know, basically my actions kind of influences the movement of of the cattle where I could really handle them. You know, I could make them go where I wanted to go. I could put them where I wanted them, wanted them to be. I really learned that when, you know, kind of early on, as I was telling you, when my dad would just send me out and I'd have to go, you know, gather cattle and move pastures by myself. Because when you're by yourself, you can't force cattle to do anything. Yeah. And so you have to be methodical and realize, you know, just fine tune your actions and try to manipulate the situation that you basically manipulate the cattle to go where you want them to go. And whether it's, you know, trotty cattle that have a big bubble or, or, you know, gentler cattle. I mean, you have to learn how to read cattle when you're by yourself. And, and I realized that, that, you know, that's really when that light, when that light switch kind of kicked on, on for me. And so later when I, you know, when I got married and my wife rides a horse as well as anybody and a lot better than I do, but uh, didn't grow up on a ranch and didn't necessarily, you know, have the cattle handling skills. And I remember when we first got married, then you kind of fall into that same trap of when you think you're teaching somebody is, you know, scoot up, move over, back up, come over here, you know. And when you're telling somebody what to do all the time, kind of like when I was a kid, my dad would tell me, you know, hey, scoot up, move over, too much pressure, back up, come over, you know. Then what happens is you end up just listening to the person that's shouting out the orders and you don't really pay attention to the cattle. And it's not until I went out on my own and tried to get something done by myself that I you know, nobody was there to tell you what to do. And so you had to, you know, had to pay attention to the cattle. And, and when I realized that, then I started doing that with my wife. You know, I'd, I'd just have her go, you know, gather or go move a set of cows and I'd move the, the string of horses or I'd move camp or do whatever. And I'd let her, you know, trail the cattle or whatever we, we needed to do. And, kind of the same thing is all of a sudden she quit worrying about me, you know, what, 
what's he going to tell me to do and start paying attention, you know, where I need it to be. And I just think it's, it's a great way to, it's a great principle in life is, is you kind of have to let people govern themselves at some point, you know, and that's where you learn. When you think about all of the different places that you have been, is there one place in particular that stands out as being like, I don't know what I meant, like the coolest place that you've ever been on a horse? Like if you think of that place, is there one particular place or are there multiple? Yeah, there's there's probably not one place. I feel like I've been pretty... Uh, pretty blessed in in I've been a lot of different places and I think there's there's beauty in in all of it you know I think and I'm you've probably been up there but I think up on top of the 50 and looking off the 50 is is as good as it gets um, there in southern Utah uh, being in Florida I mean ranching in Florida was just so unique you know when you tie a cow up to a palm tree or you're you're moving you know cattle through a swamp in palm trees you just think man something's just not natural about this you know (laughs) but in its own way there's really some just a lot of beauty to to that and you know being in the flint hills of kansas or or northern oklahoma and in the tall grass prairie where the you know the grass is over the hood of your pickup and um just seeing that sea of grass and you think i'm in i'm in cowman's paradise you know um so i for me it's been i've just really enjoyed all the places that i've been for one reason or the other and they're all unique and they all have their own set of challenges um, they all have their own you know benefits or you know pros and cons to everything in life but um i i think i've or i feel i've been pretty blessed in you know cowboying in enough different areas that i've i I really enjoy all of them that's cool when you think back also do any favorite memories in particular stand out like any favorite horses any crazy wrecks yeah probably a lot of them but um you know when 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 i was on the 50 uh chasing was chasing wild cattle up there with boyd rucker and danny button and and um boyd's family then uh you know we jumped a, a little bunch of cattle out and of course it's thick trees and you just the dogs held up what they could hold up and then you know one took off and so i was chasing it and and you know how that country is i mean it's just a lot of slick rock and canyons and and uh i remember you know before this happened when we were catching some other cattle i can remember boyd telling me you know of course i was 17 at the time and or 18 and Boyd telling me, boy, you gotta, you gotta be careful where you're going, where you go. You're going to kill yourself up here, you know, because I just didn't care. I just go. (laughs) And, uh, I remember this time I was chasing this cow through these trees and we, we went off a couple of little cliffs and so it was on this ledge basically, um, 
how that canyon country is was on this ledge and there's a row of trees that I couldn't get through that the cow slipped under. And so I went to just go around that row of trees and my horse and we we hit some slick rock and my my horse fell down on its belly, you know, feet slipped out from underneath it. We fell down. And so I kicked my feet out of the stirrups and rolled uphill. And I remember when I turned around, I just saw that this horse going off the edge of the cliff backwards. And uh, so I got up and ran over there. And just as I looked off this this cliff, then I don't know, it was probably 15, 20 feet, but this horse just landed straight on 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 her back. And this was he talked about good horses this was the first horse that i really trained and it was kind of my horse and you know uh a horse i grew up with and i just remember watching her you know hit on her back and then she did a, a flip off a smaller little cliff and then landed in a crack of of two rocks basically before there was a you know a major cliff and so I I found me a trail and shuffled down there and and her front feet's up on the ground and her back feet's you know dangling and she's just stuck in this crack and of course she's you know sweating from chasing cattle and stuff but she was just shaking and I I couldn't get her out of there you know for a long time finally I just got my rope and kind of straddled the crack behind her and and you know kind of whipped her a couple times and she ended up crawling out of there and was just shaking and and uh i look at my saddle and the horns on one side and the candles on the other side and it it just shattered the you know the tree and it was a brand new saddle it wasn't an expensive saddle but it was a saddle i just got you know for christmas a few months earlier um so I had to build a trail up out of those canyons to get back up on top and got her up on top and and uh end up we were a long ways from camp and and uh everybody just went to camp and I end up jumping on the back of Danny Button's horse and we just kinda hobbled along leading this mare of mine and led her back to to uh camp and where she was cut up and banged up and you know everything and I ended up having to just leave her up there for a few months to let her heal up before we could you know get her off of there but I'll uh I'll never forget looking you know looking turn around looking over my shoulder and just seeing her going off backwards off that cliff yeah and pretty glad I slid off of her yeah thanks did she end up being okay when she came off of there? No, she never really came out of it. I ended up selling her uh, at the auction because she never, she never completely healed up. Yeah. 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 And it was lame. I mean, you could kind of ride her, but you couldn't do anything on her. And, and uh, yeah, I ended up actually taking her to the auction, and selling her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's been I don't know you start talking about wrecks and uh, I remember I was getting around some cows just going I mean just flying on this horse 
and I hit a cow trail uh, trying to get around this one yearling heifer that took off, and I hit this cow trail in in some sagebrush, and it just took the horse's black gilding. It took his front feet out from underneath him, and I remember just coming down head first on the ground, and just it tore all the skin off my off my nose and my face and and how I didn't break anything I don't know, you know. It's all I could do to get back on that horse and I just in so much pain. Um how does I, all happen so fast, you don't realize. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Down in in eastern Arizona there there's a lot of prairie man, you know, prairie dogs and they, they make these little homes and uh, and they're they're kind of covered but if you, if a horse steps in them then there's you know they they might be four or five feet around you know and and it's it's like stepping in a in a hole not not that to get your foot caught in the hole but the whole ground kind of kind of caves in and and when I was down there I can remember of course that's when I was younger than a young horse that I was riding for the first time, I found it's easier for them to hit the hole and 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 stumble enough to scare them so that when you're chasing something that they were looking for these prairie dog homes or mammoths. And so that when they saw one, they would jump it or, you know, they wouldn't step in it. Whereas if you're going that fast and you're having to look for them and then trying to, you know, rein the horse around it or over it, it's a lot easier if, if they're looking for it. And so when I'd get kind of a young horse or a green horse, I would just felt like I was somewhat safe. I'd just let them run into them and stumble and kind of scare themselves. And I was just, I'd kind of jump off out of the way from them and, and just let them, you know, kind of let them hit a wreck, and it it made really good horses because then they were looking for these these uh, holes, and I didn't have to. But that lasted until I got in a real bad wreck, and it really hurt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> then I thought maybe that's not such a good idea. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I remember, you know, when I was at the King Ranch, one thing that I really enjoyed cowboying down there is really unique. That country's so thick with mesquite um, and we satch and different trees that they would they would gather pastures um, often, not all the time, but gather use helicopters to gather pastures and especially some remnant stuff. And you talk about a rush, and so you'd saddle up and be at the edge of the pasture waiting, and the helicopter would be gathering this pasture, flying back and forth. And if there was something that he couldn't gather, then he would fly over and get you. And you'd, you know, of course, you're just in these thick trees, and you're just following this helicopter up above you, and riding through the trees and then you'd come to some big thicket and out jump you know some animal 
and a lot of times you wouldn't even see them. You just hear them. And the helicopter would try to stay in front of them to slow them down, but it would be flying backwards. So and, cool. and so you're, of course, you've got your rope pulled and you, you know, you're going to have to catch something and you're going through these trees as fast as you can and just kind of watching that helicopter. And you're basically following that helicopter and you have no idea if that's, you know, some mature bull, you know, weighing 2000 pounds, or if that's just some, you know, 500 pound wean calf or a cow, I mean, you don't know what it is, but you just know that when you have a chance in some opening, you might have one or two swings to catch this animal, you know? Um, and it's it's quite a rush, you know. You're busting through the rush, not not knowing what you're going to be, and all of a sudden, you know, here's a little opening, and and you just bail to it and rope it, whatever it is. And and if there's openings big enough, a lot of times, then you could, you know, you could trip that animal, and the helicopter pilot would just land his helicopter and run over, and you could throw him a tie string and hit tie tie the animal down for you. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah, it it was. It was a lot of fun, and especially for a young guy, you know. So yeah. I can remember I I was, uh, and that mesquite would just tear you up. I mean, it, it'd undress you. You'd come back, and you wouldn't have a shirt on, or, you you know. Um, I remember I got done with my internship and was coming back to Arizona, and and three or four days later or a week later or whatever it was that we're I was at my brother's house and eating dinner with his family and a bunch of cousins and I got scratching the top of my head felt something thought man what is that I pulled out a mesquite thorn (laughs) you know two weeks or a week later on the top of my head you know (laughs) (laughs) but yeah a lot of good hands a lot of good cowboys um you know, they, they would communicate with, you know, by hooping and hollering and they'd know what each other, you know, basically what each other went, meant or what they wanted by this, you know, just kind of this hooping and hollering language. It was it was just really, really a fun experience and a good experience. Who would you say some of the best guys you ever rode with or were around were? You know, I I think I've been uh, privileged to ride with some really good cowboys for different reasons too. Um, you know, as far as catching wild cattle, then you know some of those guys in South Texas are as handy as anybody. Uh, you know, I rode with Boyd a little bit, and you know he's the first one that really that I saw handle wild cattle. Um, you know. Uh, there's some guys in West Texas that that I worked with that are really good, um, and there's some guys up here. You know, we don't have the wild cattle up here in Oklahoma and Kansas like we would like we have in Arizona or South Texas. But um, but as far as handling cattle and and especially yearlings, we we run a lot of yearlings and. We have to doctor all of them, you know, pretty much at the end of the rope, and and it just makes really nice, you know, nice horses and really good cowboys. Um, In your words, how do you define the word cowboy? 
you know, I don't, uh, I guess when I just picture a cowboy, I just picture a good hand, you know, somebody that's good with a horse, good with a, you know, with cattle, um, uh, you know, just, just a really good, what I'd call just a really good hand. Um, and is is I guess what I define or, or call a cowboy. And what do you think makes a good hand? You know, I think one experience, you know, it's kind of like uh, riding horses. You know, I mean, if you want to be good on horses, you just have to ride a bunch of them. And so you have to have the opportunity or the experience just to do a lot of it. And then the other part of it is is learning those little things that make a big difference. You know, being around either the mentors or being around good hands and watching what they do and, you know, just those little things of being in, in the right time at the right place and breeding cattle and, um, you know, making a good horse. And so I think it's a lot of it's just having the experience and then either through observation or through mentorship is just learning, you know, where to be and, and, you know, when to be there. And I think some of it's talent, you know, it's kind of like that, that guy that rode pants for 28 years and still had the highest death loss. I think some people you can teach all you want, but they're probably never going to be as handy as, you know, somebody else that has the, just the raw talent. Yeah. I think that kind of goes back to the uh, having different skill sets in your toolbox that you mentioned before. Like all those different experiences lead to more tools that you have that you can use that will help you to be better. Yep. Yep. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I know I've taken up a lot of your evening, but I just have one last question for you. And I was wondering what your advice would be to the next generation of of people coming up in this lifestyle. You know, it's it's a good question, and it's it's probably the advice would probably differ depending on who you talk to. You know, because we're all a little different. And we probably all need a little different advice. But one, um, I'm I'm very proud that someone can still make a career and a good livelihood and lifestyle running cattle, you know, cowboying, whether it's cowboying or whether it's managing ranches or what whatever it might be. I think I'm, you know, I'm proud that I've been able to make a life. Uh, livelihood or, or a living doing what you love and I think that that is an option we just you have to find the right option for you and it's we all have different paths but um, if it's a passion then there's a way to make a living doing it and so uh, you know my advice would probably change uh, a little bit according to who you're talking to but um the opportunities to make a uh, livelihood or, or a living cowboying is still there. And if it, if that's your passion and that's your love, then, you know, you're not going to waste any time and energy if you, if you pursue it. Yeah. I like that. You know, I've, 
I think, and I still have a lot of experiences left to, to go in life, but I've really enjoyed, you know, the, the times that I've had just to cowboy. Um, and, uh, you know, the horses that, that you ride, the horses that you train and just the, the experience to, you know, to cowboy is, has just been a really, um, really good life and really good experiences. And I, to this day, I, there's a lot of times I wish I was just out in the middle of nowhere, you know, <laughs> cowboy and, you know. Yeah. Picturing yourselves in those mountains outside of Phoenix again. Yeah, yeah, superstition <laughs> mountains, take, yeah. take wild cattle, I guess. But uh, <laughs> um, but I I also enjoy the business part of it. I enjoy the management of it. You know, um, manage some large operations uh, currently, and and it's just uh, uh, I enjoy the the challenge of it. Um, I think that's one thing that you have to do in life is, you know, is look at the obstacles that you have and just really enjoy the challenge of it. You know, it's, uh, ranching is a tough business. Um, and you kind of have to enjoy the challenge of how, you know, how do I manage this to be profitable at the same time, manage the resources so that they're sustainable and um you know find that that balance between the the art and the science of of just management and um and i think that comes from just really uh trying to trying to make the challenge a passion um of whatever you're doing yeah i like that um but I think that I have asked everything that I wanted to for the podcast, unless there's any other memories or stories that you would like to share. I think we we covered most of it. Um, you know, there was a couple of things I was thinking of, kind of unique stories. Uh, one that comes to mind is uh, the time that I had to get get stitched up by a vet I think is might be a common story with with a lot of cowboys but um it was when I was a kid we were my dad was buying some cattle down in in Snowflake Taylor area Arizona and uh and I was just you know we were palpating the cows and and I was pretty young I probably, I don't know, fifth, fourth, fifth grade or something. And I'd, you know, run the outside the alley, but run the cows down the the snake or, or single alley and then slide the pipe behind them so they wouldn't back out. And the, and the pipe I had was, uh, it was an old shovel and the spade had been broken off and so at the end of the handle where the spade was, then it it kind of had that curve to it, like uh, like shovels do. But the actual handle was a metal handle, and it had been bent a little bit. And <clears throat> so I slid it behind the slid it behind the cow, and then I bent down to pick up my 
you know, hot shot or whip or whatever I had. And just as I did, the a cow backed up and hit that bend in that handle, which made the end of it flip around and and hit me right in the forehead and cut oh. my cut my forehead open and uh and I can just remember you know seeing it in the mirror and it was laid open and and so one of the old uh ranchers there then they at the time they didn't have a hospital in town and so I got in this pickup and he ran me down to the vets, and I still remember it was just one of those little mobile trailers out next to Main Street. It seemed like it was kind of in between Taylor and Snowflake there somewhere, and, and uh, <clears throat> went in there, and I remember him put me on that stainless steel table that they would operate on cats and dogs, you know, <laughs> 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 laying there, and him you know, give me a a shot to try to numb it, I guess. I just remember how I think the shot hurt worse than getting hit in the head with a pipe. <laughs> and it me up. I don't I didn't take a bunch, I don't know, four or five stitches or something, but uh yeah, I got stitched up by the vet and then we went back and kept working, so <laughs> Uh, it might be a common story among cowboys, but kind of unique. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wonder how many other people that vet had stitched up around there. Yeah. <laughs> For them to have the idea of let's take him to the vet was probably, I would say probably, I wasn't the first, you know, if they knew yeah. that he would do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I don't know if it would, if that would happen nowadays. It, it may, but yeah, it's pretty good. I, um, I also worked in a when I was in college. I worked in a feed yard, uh, rode pans in a big feed yard uh, down around Maricopa, Arizona. So is that the same? Uh, feed yard where you said something about shipping 40 trucks of steers in under three hours. Is that the same place or was that a different place? Yeah, no, that's a different place. So that's, that's where I work now. So that's the ranch I manage now is we take um, a lot of yearlings or a lot of calves from Florida. And then we've, we implemented a, a system and it was over, you know, several year, years kind of grew into it, but we've got a system system down now that will ship about forty trucks and and uh, under three hours, and it works. It works pretty good, and we'll and we'll do that back to back. We'll ship about fifteen thousand yearlings, and and then our native calves off our our cows around about six thousand cows, but um, and it's just a you know, it's it's a process that you know that we've taken a few years to grow into, and just kind of tweak every year and and get a little better. And it's you know, it's obviously a team effort. We've got a lot of good hands, and and it's you know, we just end up 
kind of breaking down every stage of of the process and and look for how do we save you know early seconds you know how do we save a few minutes here a half a minute there and and uh, so yeah it's worked out well and and the whole the whole design behind it was just to minimize shrink you know um yeah the cost of cattle or is extremely high and so the more shrink you can um eliminate then it's it's in your you know it's advantageous to to your operation so it's uh yeah it's a, it's a quite a um quite a process and and to see all i could think of was that that is the definition of efficiency <laughs> like it'd be kind of cool to i don't know watch everybody have their job that they do through that process cuz yeah. No. Efficient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very efficient, and it's like I say, it just takes. We've got a lot of good hands, and it takes a lot of teamwork, and and just everybody really focusing on their job, you know. And so, you know, uh, we'll get all the trucks to to load the the same way, the you know, the best we can. So all spread axles will load one way, and tandem axles will load another way, and so. We know how they're the cowboys know how they're gonna load before they even back up to the chute, you know, this this truck's gonna be, you know, eight, twenty, twenty and sixteen or whatever the numbers are and and so, you know, a guy or two are sorting off loads and then a guy or two are sorting off drafts and then a, you know, a guy or two is loading the truck and you know, it's just everybody having their job and making sure the guy in front of you is not not waiting on you. So the only person you're waiting on is is the truck driver to shut the gate behind them. Mm-hmm. And it and it's pretty quiet, you know, we try to it's not a lot of yelling and screaming and and stuff. We try to handle cattle pretty quiet and smooth, but it goes pretty fast. How many guys do you have there on those days to help? We'll ha- we'll have there'll be about um, you know, anywhere from eight to to fifteen, depending on um, what we're doing. You know, um, we have there's there's about ten full time cowboys on the operation, and and so we'll sometimes it'll just be us, and then sometimes we'll uh, get a couple of day workers to help us, a few day workers, so. And it just started, you know, it started with, we'd load, and we'd, we'll load two or three trucks at a time, so we'd set up the facility so we we can do, you know, several trucks at a time, and, and uh, you know, it started with 10 or 15 trucks, and, and that process just got quicker every, you know, every time we'd do it, and, um, you know, the first time was, was a little bit of a wreck, we'd you know, you just learn little things, you know, it's hard to have the trucks right next to each other and load because of the, the noise. But if you have them away from each other a little bit, then they'll load a lot better. And so just the little, little things that we would tweak and, and, uh, you know, we've got, so we'll load uh, most of the camps that we have, we'll load, you know, 20 trucks and, and get it down to about four or five minutes a truck. 
how I just keep thinking that it'd be cool to have like a drone footage of that of how yeah. quick it goes over you the know, four hours. I actually tried it. I had one of the truck drivers that had been here the year before. He came back and asked if he could bring a dr- a drone and take um, take a little video of it, and, and so we we did, but. Um, and I don't, I don't have a drone. Don't know how they work, but he could take pictures, but he couldn't take a video because there is no internet service. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> and so we do have quite a few pictures of you know trucks lined up and and kind of the process, but we don't have any video of it. And I thought it would it would be kind of neat to to see the process that way. Yeah, I do have a little video. But I just took on my phone early in the morning with 40 trucks all lined up, you know, out on the street before the the, the pans. And it takes a few minutes to drive by all of them. That'd be cool. I wouldn't mind seeing that if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can send it to you. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take all your evening, Lindsay, but... Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you again. That was that was fun. Yeah. That concludes my interview with Tyson Johnson. If you like what you're listening to, please leave us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And just like always, to put a face behind the name to everybody that we visit with, head over to our Instagram page. It's at cowboystories underscore podcast. And just a few other housekeeping items before I let you go. Um, I'm not sure how many of you know this or not, but there is a link at the bottom of our show notes after every episode to support this podcast. I get a lot of questions, whether it's through DMs or emails on how people can support this podcast and keep it going. And that's probably the easiest way. Um, Like I said, if you go to our show notes, there's a link at the bottom that says support this podcast. And if you click on it, it'll give you a few different options to choose from. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.